to another episode of Live Your Own Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Jacobs, here on my own today, and I'm just going through my race reports from 70.3 Sunshine Coast and 70.3 Xi'an. And the main point of this podcast is to talk about how I am able to complete these races full of energy, happy with how my race went, with what I was able to get out of my body, on zero carbohydrates during the race. And to add to that, zero carbohydrates outside of the race as well. As you probably know by now, I'm a carnivore all the time. I live predominantly on red meat, and this is to avoid any inflammation and leaky gut, and so I can perform my best, feel my best just day-to-day mentally and physically. So this is what I've found works best for me. I'm going to start out today with a bit of an overview of what I take um, and the how, why, and when will come later in the details. And then I'm also going to talk about after the race reports and the details, I'll get into a little bit about how the body's able to do this, how I'm able to go flat out for four hours without ingesting any carbohydrates at all when we're all told that basically your glycogen will run out after two hours and that's the end of it. So you have to replace. I'm just saying that there is another way that I've found possible that's great because I can't operate on carbohydrates and other foods, whether it's carbohydrates or whether for now it's just the plant lectins and oxalates and other inflammatory problems that I have with plants and my leaky gut issues that mean that red meat is the best for me Um, that's just the highest nutrient dense food it means yes i can handle chicken but um, it's better for me to have the highest density highest nutrient dense food comes back to red meat so let's start out with a little bit of an overview of basically red meat only the day before i had steak some liver and some more steak have no breakfast in the morning, I have a little bit of nicotine gum, I have caffeine tablets, ketone esters, I have salt and water, but less than one litre in total, and on the run I rinse and spit some coke. Recovery again a couple of hours later or so is just again meat, salt, water, and my energy does not change. My energy is perfect throughout the whole day. So let's get into a little bit of the details about my races, how they went, what I did exactly, how they felt, uh, which is more important than how they went, I guess, if you're thinking about placings. Um, And so how I felt before I get into it, the first thing that I want to mention is that this is what works for me. Uh, I do it before because it works for me. I don't believe it's for everyone, I believe it would work for everybody. But if you don't have a problem with the way you're doing it now, then you know I don't have a problem with you doing it that way. I just don't care. This is just me talking about how I'm doing things that are working for me. Secondly, um, 
don't get too hung up on the race analysis of results um, on paper. Uh, yes, I have been beaten. I didn't win any either of these races. I'm not as fast as the others. I'm not yet as fast as I used to be. But I am happy with what I was able to get out of my body on race days at Sunny Coast and Xi'an based on the training that I'd done. So my point is where I'm at in my training, in my recovery from poor health, in my journey of finding out what foods I feel great on, I'm really happy with that I'm just able to push on race day, that I'm just able to go as hard as I can on race day. That's all I've ever wanted. That's all, all that has ever made me happy. I've been dealing with fatigue for a long time. And ever since I was in my you know, late teens and early 20s, um, I realized that if I just could push on race day, I was happy. And that was all I was after. So I'm beyond that. And now I've got my sights set on much more than that again. But moving on. So that's not an excuse for me not winning. I'm not saying that I had no intention of winning these events. I wanted to do as best as I could. I wanted to make prize money. That's the whole point of being a professional athlete. Um, but really, I wanted to get what I could out of my body. Um, and my performances on race day were true reflections of the training that I had done. And therefore, I'm happy with my results. No excuse. I'd done that amount of training. I'm really happy with how it went, even though on paper, the results weren't uh, super amazing. But I'm happy with that. Um, and then before I get into a little bit more nitty gritty, um, I just want to start out with a little bit of my mindset heading into these races based on what I've just told you. And that was, I had no expectations. Um, I really was just happy to be lining up and feeling good in race week. It was only about just over a week out where Jamie was even questioning if I was going to start, like, why would I start? I'd been feeling pretty lousy for a few weeks. Um, ever since getting back from Japan, I had a flare up. Then I figured out the histamine could be an, a factor. And then um, it took another couple of weeks or more, nearly three weeks to get over the last big dose of histam high histamine foods that I'd had. Um, but I was confident my body was going to come around. I was confident that I was fit and healthy enough to be doing another 70.3. I just hadn't done a lot of training and I just wanted to be healthy on race day. As it turned out, I knew, you know, I just quietly went about my, um, my ways. And as I came good and felt good about eight days out from the race, I started to do some good training and basically just sat on the wind trainer most of that week and do some short sprint efforts to get some activation. And I did a few swims. So I got my swimming going pretty good in a week. And my running, however, I hadn't been running because I'd had a pain in my foot um, just near my big toe joint. It's now all sorted, but basically um, there was a pain that felt very suspicious. So I didn't run on it for a few weeks leading into Sunny Coast. And uh, after that, I then saw a physio after the race and she just freed it up for me with a bit of mobility, gave me a few mobility exercises to get my ankle and metatarsals freed up and moving again. And a week later, at um, it flared up a tiny bit at Sunny Coast, but a week later, after I saw the physio, when I went to Xi'an, no pain came back whatsoever. All I needed was a bit of mobility through my metatarsals to get rid of that pain instantly. So I had a little bit of a histamine flare-up. My feet were sore. 
So feeling great on race week was an absolute bonus. And I just went in with no expectations whatsoever. That was the whole point. Just no expectations, but confident that if my body was good, I'd be able to push and I'd be really happy with that. So the day before the race, I just ate what I normally eat during the day, just red meat. I had some steak in the morning. I had some liver at lunch. And then I had some more steak in the evening. Um, a quick side note, a quick little anecdote about sticking to what you know and what you consistently eat. Um, the same weekend, Caleb Noble, who I coach, was over doing his first long course event as a professional in Almere, which is over in near Amsterdam, over that way. And the one thing that I told him, like I haven't forced on him to be low carb and, and really change everything. You know, he's young and he's healthy and he's a really talented athlete. The one thing I had said was stay away from gluten, have rice, have sweet potato. But instead, unfortunately, when he moved to a hotel in the last few days before the race, those foods were hard to come by and everything came either as a sandwich or as pasta or lasagna or something along those lines. So basically for a few days, he must probably ate gluten three, three meals a day. And on race day, he just did not fire. He was just a little bit slow on the bike and, you know, but he was still mindset was great. He got off quite a bit behind the leaders who were some uber bikers, but he was still happy. He was still thinking, okay, if I can just run a three hour marathon, I'm still going to post like an eight, 30 something 840 overall time and that still would have been a great time for him uh in his first race and under the con um, the circumstances um but as it was then about 21k through the run his guts then got so painful and cramped that he had to pull out at that point so it doesn't matter what you have and what your plan is but just stick to what you have normally and don't overdo it don't carb load don't think you need extra carbohydrates because that's just not going to make any difference on you on race day. However, it could really make a difference on you if you eat too many carbohydrates, that could cause a problem. Same as on race day, eating too much is much more going to cause, much more likely to cause a problem than eating too little. So same for leading into the race. So back to what I did. Some meat the day before. No breakfast the morning of. Uh, about maybe 90 minutes before the race, I had one milligram of nicotine gum. This is something that I've just been testing out in training. I found a brand Lucy uh, from the States, which is relatively clean. None of the titanium dioxide, which has been shown in research to upset stomach lining um, and therefore be, cause your stomach to be more susceptible to a leaky gut and gut issues. Um, so it's quite a clean product. That's why I've chosen that one. And just one milligram I'd tested out in training the week before. Nicotine is in itself not a harmful um, chemical. You know, if everybody's throwing their hands up and going, oh my God, it's, you can't believe you're having nicotine as, as my sister did. Um, there's nothing harmful about nicotine in itself. Obviously with tobacco and smoke, terrible. Nicotine is addictive. But how many of you out there say that, can honestly say that you're not addicted to caffeine? I don't even drink caffeine. I have nicotine gum once in a little while. It's certainly nothing that I recommend you start doing regularly. It's certainly nothing that I start suggesting to anybody 
young. It is something that is absolutely only for professionals like myself um, or, you know, very serious age groupers who have been doing it long enough that maybe they want to see how they feel at certain times with it. Um, But I'm not recommending you try that. I'm just saying I'm testing it out because of my neural issues that I've had in the past, very serious neural issues. And nicotine can act as much as a stimulant as it can as a calming agent and a neural connectivity, opening up the neural connections in your brain. So there's a lot of research going on about maybe it can help Alzheimer's, maybe it can help people with ADHD, maybe it can help all types of um, problems that people are having in their brain. So I'd done a little bit of testing. I'd found that I felt good after I'd had it, like hours after not necessarily at the time I was having it. Obviously, there is a difference. There, I feel something at the time, but the benefits that I feel come a little bit later on. So anyway, just something to test out and something to look into, definitely. I'll attach um, an article that has lots of research articles attached to that article, uh, and you can read all about nicotine and what you want to know about it. So that's just something that um, I've been adding into my repertoire to try and get the most out of my body any way that I can. That was about 90 minutes before. And then I would have just sipped on a little bit of water and salt. Then I had a caffeine tab and I just used no-dose tablets. They're 100 milligrams and I had one of them. I may have had just half. I can't completely remember. uh, About 10, 15 minutes before the swim start. And Then we got to the start line and something that I'm really getting into a lot as I think about where's energy coming from and how are we influencing our body's capabilities from our mind. Perception is everything. The central governor theory, everything's controlled by our brain. I stood on that start line with a posture greater than I've ever had on a start line. This has never come into my mind before, but I stood on the start line as tall as I could with the best posture that I could. Um, listening to re- research and, and podcasts, it's clear that a good posture can actually influence the hormones going through your body. Um, so not only are you getting a good hormonal benefit from a strong posture, you're also getting a confidence boost. So it's going to influence your brain. How you stand influences how you feel and how your brain reacts. Obviously, if you walk around slumped over with your head down, your shoulders hunched up, you're going to feel quite depressed, quite vulnerable as it because you're already in a protective position, a protective state physically. So you'll feel that way mentally. Stand very strong position, then you're going to feel very strong, feel very confident. So I felt great standing there on the start line in that position. Um, and you know, it was a great way to focus my mind on the water, a great way of seeing the course, looking out at the course, being present in the moment and realizing that what I, I was about to do was give everything that I had, that I was going to be able to do what I asked of my body. Um, yeah, it was just a, a great feeling. So I highly recommend that you use that posture on the start lines um, before big meetings before a presentation, before anything that you might normally feel a little bit nervous about, use your posture. Stand tall. Stand with your chest out. Stand proud. 
and be very in the moment, calm and present. The gun went and I actually felt great. Um, I was pretty quick into the water. I was in the front row of swimmers by the first boy and positioned myself in the top four for the whole swim and moved around, felt quite good in the water and I was actually surprised that I was keeping up with these guys because I thought I might be a little bit behind since I hadn't done that much swimming except for the last week. Anyway, onto the bike and straight away was firing. Straight away, I knew compared to the other guys going up the first hill out of town, I knew that I was actually firing pretty well today. Um, So that was a great, great feeling. We got onto the freeway and it's dead flat for like the next sort of 30K or 35K. And I'm in the train, I'm about third position or something. And actually felt really comfortable. Actually felt like we were going a bit too easy. And I thought, no, just just bide your time. Let's you you're not the strongest rider here. You're not the fittest guy. Let's just sit in and see what happens. But by the time we were heading up towards the turnaround, I mean we were sitting on we had a slight tailwind, but we're sitting on but you know 45k an hour roughly. And so it just felt really easy. We weren't pushing really hard. Um but it was just really good, smooth road surface, flat course, a little bit of a tailwind, and we're in a group of guys going along. And I thought, you know what, I, I'm here to test out what I can do with my body, as I do with every race. And if I can go harder, I will go harder. So sure enough, I had a, another caffeine tablet uh, just before this turnaround at the end. So that's probably about um, halfway into the bike ride, must have been about 25k into the race maybe. Um, and that was my plan to have a caffeine tab every hour, roughly. So another hundred milligrams. Then we made the turnaround coming back and I made a move to go to the front. And, you know, even though I knew I wasn't going to be able to drop anyone, I still, in my mind, I thought, well, maybe you never know. Let's just see how quick I can go. And I pushed and I pushed, but I couldn't get away. Um, and we got back into town and we hit the hills again. And there's some quite steep hills that we just have to go over a couple of times going back into town, out of town, around town. The hills, you know, are pretty brutal. And on me being not as peppy, as, as preppy, um, I guess, or peppy, uh, in my legs without having done a lot of work and a lot of high volume with um, high intensity or anything, it really, really stung me. I was going as hard as I could over these hills and I was still losing a bit of time to these guys. So I lost a little bit of time, but over the rollers, I was able to make it up using momentum just to carry me up the other side of the hill and got back onto the train by the time we got back onto the flat section. But I was sitting at the back and I was sitting at the back and starting to drift back 20 meters and then come back up a bit and then back 30 meters and then I'd come back up a bit. And then by the time we got to the last turnaround and we hit a little bit of that headwind, I was just starting to fade a bit and I dropped off. And before I knew it, they were, you know, because you're passing other, other cyclists. So it's almost a false perception of how far back you are when there's other riders in between you and the, your group because these age groupers that you're lapping. And suddenly I realized that gap was, that gap was big and it was probably out to... Um, 20 seconds at least, maybe 30. And I mean, it doesn't sound like much, but when you're talking about doing 40, 45K an hour, it's a long way in distance. It, they were, you know, looked like they were about 500 meters ahead of me almost. Um, long way. And I thought I was gone, but I had another caffeine tablet. So that would have been around the 
just over the hour 20 mark maybe, um, about 65K in, and just pushed as hard as I could. I Mentally, I worked really hard um, and found that I was starting to catch back up to these guys, and that filled me with a huge amount of confidence. So I kept riding, kept pushing, and, yeah, it felt amazing to be able to catch up. And I got back onto the group while we're still on the flat. We hit the hills. And as we hit the hills, they dropped me again um, and I lost a little bit of time. But by then it was only in the last 5K of the ride and it was undulating. And so I think I got back into transition like basically five seconds behind them and exited transition with some of the guys that were a little bit slower in transition. So I exited about the same time as a couple of guys and my lack of run training then was quite evident. Um, straight away I had nothing partly I'd ridden really really hard as flat out as I could to catch back up then I'd pushed on the hills Um, you know I'd really given everything on the bike and luckily I got out and I was behind Clayton Fattel and um, you know the lead group also had Braden Curry and Steve McKenna and they were first out running and they really pushed themselves um, on the run had a great little battle I just stuck, snuck in behind Clayton and just sat there and just got him to drag me through until I started to come good. Through 10K, I started to feel good. Things loosened up and I was quite happy. And I actually started to think, okay, when we get to the far turnaround again at 15K, I'm going to try and drop it. I'm going to try and put the pace down on Clayton a bit because he had me on the hill, which is close to the finish, but I think I had, his, had the pace on the flat. So I got to that last turnaround and my legs just fell apart. You know, not having run for about three weeks really showed my quads just absolutely shattered. And the, I'd had another caffeine tablet during the run as well, probably 45 minutes into the run or so. Sorry, I missed that on the bike, I'd also had some of my ketone esters. So I totally missed what I'd had on the bike. Um, salt and water. And like I said, that was less than a litre. That was probably you know, 600 mil maybe. Um, I had two bottles that weren't fully filled. One of the water bottles I just emptied on, on the road about halfway through because I knew I'm not going to drink this much. And the other bottle had water and ketone esters and salt. That one I finished and had about um, 15 mil of the ketone esters. The little HVMN bottles are 25 mil. And then so the other uh, 10 mil, I had that in my pocket for the run. So I then had that probably halfway through the run. Um, I had the caffeine tablet as well. And I was just rinsing and spitting Coke and like a tiny little sip here and there. But, you know, we're talking 10 mil a couple of times throughout the run. You know, not enough to, to make any difference. But it was just the taste and the refreshness of having the Coke in my mouth that really felt good. But I wasn't thirsty, so I wasn't going to drink um, adding weight, adding potential something to mess up my stomach during the run, um, I felt quite comfortable. There was no reason that I needed to drink the Coke. So, you know, I wasn't drinking water or the electrolyte or anything. It just wasn't necessary. Um, so rinse and spit Coke and a bit of the ketone esters on the run and caffeine and legs were falling apart from lack of training. So by this point, it was really, I had about 4k to go and I was actually worried that I wasn't going to make it home for a minute my legs were so sore that 
panic came over me almost like, oh my God, they're about to cramp and I may not make it back to the finish. And at the moment I'm in fifth, I'm still going to get a little bit of prize money. And I just wanted to make it to the finish. And the mindset there suddenly switched. I probably ran for 500 meters or 700 meters with that, oh my God, this is, I'm in trouble before I really talked myself out of it using things such as um, I told myself that this pain was nothing compared to the pain that I went through in Kona in 2011 when I had a battle with Michael Ray, with Andreas Raylett for second place. And I came out on top, and, but the pain that I was in in that last 5K, um, you know, that's what I related to. So I said, look, this is nothing compared to 2011 in Hawaii. So let's calm down. Just calm down. There's nothing that bad. There's nothing that wrong with you. I then tried to treat it and switch my mind into the mode of take myself out of the race and just imagine I was on a long run. Imagine that I was just having my regular Sunday run and my legs had gotten a bit tired on that Sunday run, but I was still going to jog it in back to the house and then I'd be able to rest and recover and be happy that I completed my long run on Sunday. So that was my mindset. Stop panicking, just calm down, relax, think about relative pain, think about something that I can relate to just moving forward, one foot in front of the other without the pressure and stress of a race. And sure enough, that last few K became quite enjoyable and I crossed the finish line quite happy and relaxed. And yeah, the last few K hadn't really been that much of a drama at all. Cross the line feeling good. Um, hang out, watch Jane turn for her last lap on the run. And then with mum, we ran up to the apartment um, that we were staying at and I had my pressure cooker. So we quickly chucked some frozen steaks into the pressure cooker because my mum is also on carnivore diet and it's really helping her autoimmune diseases and multiple diseases and also her blood pressure. She's dropping her blood pressure medication and a whole bunch of other medications that she's been on. She's really feeling some great improvement. So we're both on low histamine um, carnivore diet. And so our frozen steaks into the pressure cooker, push that out in about 15 minutes. They were good enough to start eating. Um, we chowed them down, got back to down onto the race course and to get ready to see Jane finish. So see Jane finish and, you know, she had a great race as well, ran comfortably and um, always happy and always far too fresh when she finishes. So that was a, a nice, nice finish. I think we then wandered around, um, may have gone back up to get changed, something else maybe to eat, I can't remember. But then we walked down and uh, everybody wants to get a bit of a treat, I guess. So Jane got some yogurt. And the reason I'm telling you this is because I had some of it. And it was from one of the yogurt places, and this would be the the uh, you know one of the rare things that I've actually had outside of um, you know the carnivore diet. And I had a couple of spoonfuls of this charcoal coconut yo charcoal chocolate coconut yogurt, and it was delicious. Um, it was like a black yogurt. Apparently, had some charcoal coconut husk or something in it that made it black, but it was made with coconut water. Um, turned into a bit of a slushy. I'm not sure if it was yogurty or not, um, but also had cacao powder and was and just delicious. So not a sweet chocolate, but a sweet, refreshing chocolate, just delicious. 
But anyway, Jame had tipped in a couple of little mini M&Ms in her thing because, you know, you can spoon in what things you want on top. And when I'm having a couple of spoonfuls of her chocolate coconut thing, um, I got some M&Ms in the spoon, in the mouthful. And like I already knew this, but it just reconfirmed that because I haven't eaten anything, anything man-made, anything processed. I mean, I guess, yes, that chocolate, coconut, charcoal, yogurty thing um, is processed as well. But we're talking about like with more chemicals, something like so dairy, milk, chocolate, and whatever is in it, um, all that really processed stuff. That ruined that mouthful of the um, coconut thing. The mini M&Ms just taste so rancid to me now. Um, that sort of cold, savory, refreshing texture is still something that, you know, I would love to have. But, yeah, man-made chocolate's definitely not something that I enjoy whatsoever at all. Um, yeah, so just a little side note for you. So that's as... That's it. I'm not going to lie and say I've never had anything, but really that was about the only spoonful of anything that I've had in quite a long time. And yeah, it certainly did make my stomach growl in terms of not in a good way, in terms of, oh, this is something that we're not used to and we're going to go to need to sit on the toilet this afternoon. So (laughs) that was the impression and that was the outcome um, from eating something that I don't normally eat. So, yeah, I'm not rushing back to eat anything outside of my guidelines, you know, just what I love, uh, I know is good for me. Just so what I know is good for me, I'll stick to that. So, anyway, a bit more steak in the, in the evening. Um, and just, again, my point is no change in energy levels throughout the race. I finished the race. Maybe it was an hour later or I got some steak and then... I had some steak another couple of hours after that. But there's no depletion of my glycogen in that race. In a four-hour race, flat out, where it really hurt me, there was no depletion of glycogen. So we'll talk about that a bit later. I recovered really pretty well from how my legs were. Got back on the bike and in the pool for, I think, I don't know, a couple of days, two out of the three days between... Monday and Wednesday. And then on Thursday, I left early in the morning to head over to China for 70.3 Xi'an. And Xi'an is the same city which the Terracotta Warriors are in. It's a huge city. Um, and, you know, we stayed in a beautiful hotel that we were put up in. Uh, well, I was, it was just me. Um, anyway, but I had a great experience with the other athletes that I met over there. Um, it was really great. It's always nice when you go to these races where there's a smaller group of athletes and you really get to know because the you eat breakfast, lunch, dinner with all of the people. On the way over there, I fasted. So the we left early in the morning for Brisbane. Um I'd cooked a steak early in the morning and then ate that after I'd checked through security. So probably around 8:30 in the morning, I ate a fair bit of steak. Um, again, probably it was probably 600 grams of steak or something like that. And that was my last meal for around 24, 25 hours. So I touched nothing on the plane. Um, I just, it's easy. It was really easy, um, to not eat. It just, just don't get the food. Don't, don't, don't get, don't get them to put it in front of you. You don't get tempted. You don't see it. And it's quite comfortable if you're a, a good fat burner. 
So traveled there. I got there about 11 o'clock at night or so when I checked into the hotel. So quite easy just to go to bed, sleep in, and then wake up and have a meal the next day. And then again, still just stuck to my carnivore diet while I was over there before the race. And so same routine again, and everything was the same, except in Xi'an, it had rained for about a week and really, really heavy up in the mountains, and it was a river swim, so the swim had to be cancelled because it was just far too much water in the river, far too much silt, um, and all the other tree branches that was in the river. So we started in 30-second intervals, and we pulled our names out of hats to see what places we got. Um, I was number nine, which was pretty good. Out of 15, not bad positioning. I wasn't going to be last and therefore chasing the entire time. And I was lucky enough that I caught a couple of guys on the bike and one guy caught me. And the guy that caught me, he and I swapped turns. And that was really great. I mean, it was, again, a dead flat bike course, really fast. We're averaging about 45K an hour. And for most of it, there was another tricky windy section at the first 5k and the last 5k and a really rough concrete section for about 8k in each direction but the rest of it was just beautiful um really good fast road and got off though after a dead flat bike course pushing really hard and my lower back had just totally seized up and I could barely run it was I could barely run on the flat and then uphill it just grabbed so tight it was so painful and the uphills were just tiny little bridges because we ran around a park and it was really scenic and beautiful and but oh, it just was so painful so my run was going pretty average and I knew that I was just by going on what I'd seen the other athletes do and where how far ahead they were I just was guessing I was going to be struggling to finish top six pays to sixth and that other guys were all having good days so I, I got through what I could on the run and then with about a lap to go, with 7K to go, my back had really loosened up and suddenly my back had loosened up. My legs were getting tired, but I was like, no, nope, I've just got to give this a crack. I have to give everything that I've got. And so the racing that I've done recently really was made it easy for me to get in that mindset of you've got 7K to go, your legs are hurting, but you need to give it everything that you've got. and do what you can. So that meant really focusing on technique. So I got up really more forefoot so that I wasn't landing heavy on my legs and causing my quads to be in pain, which they were a bit. So much more forefoot running and just better technique. The technique for me, which is better and good cadence, standing tall and more forefoot and yeah, I ran, I ran well and I ran hard and I came in and pretty quickly realized that I was in seventh place. And, you know, that was, a, that was really disappointing. I'd gone to Xi'an because it was good prize money over there in the total prize pool and pays to six. And I did just want to make some money. It's been a long time since, um, you know, I made a little bit in Challenge Korea. I made a little bit at Sunny Coast, but that's that's the goal. You know, I haven't raced in so long and without sponsors and without prize money, making money is a big part of the motivation that is for me the the career and it's not the only motivation. The the long-term motivation is to get back on the podium in Hawaii and be in the best shape of my life and prove 
to myself or, or learn from myself about what my limitations are and are there limitations. And the last two races, that's why I'm doing this podcast, is to get across to you that what I thought and what everybody thinks are limitations in terms of fuel and where that fuel comes from are, are, are not even close to being correct. We're not even close to scratching the surface of human potential, of mindset, of carbohydrate energy, of fat burning energy. Um, it's just limitless. So I'll talk about that in a little bit. I'll just wrap this up. So I was pretty shattered, missed out on the prize money by a minute, but it was a tight race. Seven guys within seven minutes, you know, it, it was a tight race. You don't see that in many races, particularly in Asia, where the field is stacked and where everybody has a good race, where every, nobody gets a puncture, nobody gets, you know, a, a bad belly, everybody starts um, and everybody finishes and everybody feels good. So it was, a, it was a disappointment at the same time. It was, well, it was another race as well that I can take from. I pushed hard on the bike. I rode a similar pace to these guys who have been training much more than I have. A couple of them were a couple of minutes ahead, which to me is just like, right, okay, well, I just got to put together a good month of training and that's where I should be. If I'm here at this point, then in a month's time, I should be there where they are. And then I've just got to work on my run, which you know, now that my foot's not sore, I've just got to do a bit more run training. I've just got to keep my histamine diet low. I've got to keep my carnivore diet going well. You know, there's a lot of things that I need to do and maintain focus. But if I do that, it's really confident building from these last couple of races that where I could be in the next race, which is four weeks from now, which is five weeks from Xi'an to Shanghai, 70.3. So five weeks between races and I need it. There's no way I could have raced again, you know, um, a yesterday because i'm recording this on monday uh just over a week after the last race i mean my legs are still sore i gave so much on that last lap of the run in xian that after the race when i sat on a chair my legs were absolutely throbbing and stinging and just felt absolutely painful because i'd pushed through but that's the point that the mindset that when you get race experience when you get race practice when you have a practiced mindset which i recently got from racing quite a bit and pushing through tough situations then it becomes much easier to be in the moment to forget about the pain to put the pain out of your mind and be grateful for the opportunity to do what you want to do and get everything that you can out of your body while making it more relaxed while focusing on technique while focusing on being relaxed um those are the key things that come with practice and you can practice that in training you can practice that definitely you get a lot of practice from racing as well so now we're into the analysis of how do i race on zero carbohydrate how does the body work and i'm definitely still figuring this out but i'm getting better at figuring i'm getting closer after i got home and i'd had two solid races with no carbohydrates just one week between one of those days I fasted, um, I recovered really well. I've got basically data of my heart rate from those two races and it's high. It's, it's 160 average for, you know, mostly almost four hours basically, which is high. I, I train at math still, which is around 143 technically. I might push it to 150 at times. 
but I train at math. I don't go anywhere near 160, let alone the peaks that I was hitting of 164 in those uh, during the cycle um, legs. And yet I'm able to get there when I need to. So first of all, I'm racing much harder and much faster than what I'm doing in training. And yet my body is responding. When it's healthy, when my mind says go, it goes. Yes, I need lots of caffeine. That helps a lot. Um, But I'm able to push when I want to push. And it's not about trying to do enough in training so that you go, oh, okay, well, I have to do this in training so that I can therefore do that in the race. No, a race is the time where you go above and beyond and you give absolutely everything and it's much easier to push and you can push. So my point is your body will go give you more on race day if you get into race day healthy. So there will come a time when I've done enough base work in the future, which may be still another six months away between races and then putting in another good block around Christmas, New Year's sort of period of good base work. And then I will look at doing some more targeted things. But at the moment, the gym work and the math work is going really well for what I want to, uh, the outcome in races and how I'm feeling. So how did the low carb work? Zero carb, basically. Um, I was really curious. So I connected with Dr. Paul Mason after I got home. And if you don't know him, you should definitely Google him on and look up all his YouTube clips from Carnivory Con and from Low Carb Down Under. Fantastic resources for anybody wanting to find out about how to have a low inflammation diet. Um, and he, he's a sports doctor background. And so he loves chatting about this stuff. And it's not what he does day to day at the moment but he definitely has a big hand in sports still um, as well as all the other stuff he does in his general practice as well in Sydney. If you need a doctor in Sydney, highly recommend him, but be aware that it is going to be a, I don't know, two or three month wait, maybe more. Um, he's, he's really, uh, not only has he got um, patients that really want to see him, but he's also got a lot of other things on that he does, such as talking at these conferences, dealing with athletes, um, dealing with surgery. Uh, you know, endless, one of those brilliant guys that does a bit of everything. And so he and I had a chat and just, I tried to get more information about how am I able to go without losing glycogen stores to, in my mind before, like a month ago, I just kept saying, oh yeah, I'm just activating the glycogen stores in my liver to be released. That raises my blood sugar as glucose. And then that's what I'm using in my muscles. But the liver doesn't store that much glycogen. So if I was just using that plus the just using the glycogen in my muscles, well, I would have burnt through those, you know, in a couple of hours, as all the textbooks and sports scientists say. But I wasn't. I had no signs of fatigue whatsoever, uh, even after the race, even hours after the race. Even without replenishing any carbohydrates after the race, I still slept fine, felt fine the next day. Um, at no point am I experiencing low blood sugar or low, glyce, low glycogen in my muscles. So from him, I was able to get a bit more information and we chatted about this. And the potentially because I'm carnivore and my body is so well adapted to using all the pathways available to it for energy. So 
we're talking about ketones, free fatty acids, and the Krebs cycle, and amino acids, and then you've also got glycerol. And glycerol is released from the triglycerides. The triglycerides hold the fat in your muscles and your body. As the triglycerides are used and burnt for energy, it releases glycerol. Glycerol, through gluconeogenesis, can be turned back into glucose. And because my body is basically living off gluconeogenesis now, because for if you, but gluconeogenesis is turning anything that's not sugar into sugar. So I'm not eating sugar, but I have heaps of glycogen in my muscles, glycogen in my liver, and that is because of gluconeogenesis, turning amino acids and products like glycerol into blood sugar, into glucose. And so that's how I'm potentially getting almost limitless supply of glycogen and glucose because I'm burning so much fat at such a high intensity. So imagine that I'm burning fat at a very high rate. So when my heart rate's at 160 and my muscles are really pushing hard, there's so much fat being burned that there is also that equally large amount percentage of glycerol being released. So when you take that I'm mostly using fat for energy, then I'm using releasing glycerol, which is also already more than enough or enough for me to use as fuel and return it into my blood glucose and my blood and my muscles to take that in. Then potentially this is a endless supply. And I say endless because I mean the fat on my body is going to last me a really long time. I'm in no even if I was super lean, there's still going to be enough fat to last me, um, you know, for a day of hard exercise or a day, days and days and days of just fasting if I were to do that. But the point is that this is almost unresearched. It's, it's not something that anybody has gone into a lab and said, okay, this person's only been eating protein and fat for many months. They've been training at an aerobic rate. They've trained their body incredibly well through diet and exercise to burn fat more than anybody else we've ever seen. I'm exaggerating here, but let's say this is what the sports science labs, um, well, it would be. It would be more than anybody had seen in a sports science lab from the ones that I've read research papers from because their research comes from if they've done a research paper on fat burning and keto adaptation, it comes from, oh, we got athletes, we changed their diet for one month and then we looked at their results and their results weren't great. So therefore fat burning's not better than um, the other. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about months and months of a zero carb diet where the body is incredibly well adapted for gluconeogenesis. And not only that, but my ketones were never high. Ever since I went um, low carb, my ketones have only ever been about 0.2. And this is something that frustrated the hell out of me at first when podcasts were all saying, oh, your ketones, they need to be really high or you're not in ketosis. Uh, sorry for my bad American accent. And 
they really said that if you're not at 0.5, then you're not really at a good enough level that counts as ketosis. And yet then finally, you know, I meet people like Paul Mason and other people that have more balanced view on things, a more big picture view on how the body works. And just the other day chatting to Paul, um, I asked him about this, that is it potentially because of that the acetyl-CoA, which can be turned into ketones and generally is, when the other pathway for acetyl-CoA is shut down, um, well, that's the theory, that it closes off when you're not using carbohydrates anymore to use the acetyl-CoA down that pathway. Uh, they, the, the theory was that that sort of shut off and therefore your ketones would raise really high as acetyl-CoA turned into ketones. But the, the, my theory was, and, and he had already been thinking it as well, that the acetyl-CoA is still used in the Krebs cycle and down this other pathway of energy that is normally, in theory, in some people, maybe the reason why their ketones go very high because they're not using it in any other way. So acetyl-CoA is back before you produce ketones. Acetyl-CoA can be used for energy in a number of different ways, um, down different pathways. But generally, in athletes, it seems, a lot of athletes end up with quite low ketones. They never get really high ketone levels. And that's just one of the potential reasons that um, I hadn't actually heard before, but yeah, chatting with Paul, we, we came along across this conclusion that that's one of the pathways that could be causing people to have low ketone numbers, even though they're burning only fat. So even if your ketones are low, it still means you're burning a lot of fat, except that that product of the fat burning, acetyl-CoA, is also being used for other pathways, the Krebs cycle to produce ATP through the mitochondria. It's not just being used to produce ketones to make your brain really wired and give you a bit of a buzz that way. So I feel fine. I don't really notice a big difference whether my ketones are 0.2 or whether they're 0.5. If I take a supplement or if I've been training, they do go up when I'm training because, you know, let's say I've gone on an aerobic ride for three hours, the energy production is higher. And so there is going to be a bump in ketones most days for me if I do do a long aerobic session because of the amount of fat that I am burning. Everything does increase. But again, it only goes up to like 0.4, 0.5. And that's really what some people would be disappointed with, those that really um, are still pointlessly chasing high ketone numbers. It just doesn't matter because the other pathways are still being utilized in other people like myself, I am suggesting. So don't get hung up on high ketone numbers. Just be sure that if you are eating a low-carb diet and you have any ketones in your blood, then you are burning a really good level of fat. That means you are burning fat, you are producing ketones, your brain is going to be adjusted to using those ketones because even if you were just to drink ketones, which you can, as I said, the HVM and ketones, if you just drank them during the race, as I do, if you've never produced ketones in your life, there's a chance that your body has no idea what to do with them. These pathways of really intricate chemical reactions of amino acids and of chemicals and 
it's not just something that just happens instantly. It, it it's like I said, it's the same as training your body to use glycogen or use burning training it to use fat. There are so many other pathways for energy that you need to train your body to use. So it's really, really interesting that this is just the tip of the iceberg and it's giving me confidence that potentially in an Ironman, my needs for calories um, in terms of carbohydrates in an Ironman itself would even still be very low even in an Ironman. Up until basically saying it right now, I had always been quite doubtful or not doubtful, but I would play it down to people. And when they say, oh, but what about Ironman? I would say, I don't know, but there's always aid stations. And so at any point, if I need some, I would have something. And that is still my stance. I'm not going to say at any point, I will not say that I'm not going to need carbohydrates during an Ironman, but I'm not going to unnecessarily take on board fuel that could upset my stomach I'm not saying it's for everyone, but I am saying it's super interesting that it's just working. And now the point is it's working. Now let's try and figure out why it's working and how it's working and see if we can improve on it some more. There's always going to be a lot more to learn. We're only just scraping the surface. So my key takeaways from today are pre-race. Don't change anything. Definitely avoid gluten. But don't change anything that you normally do. Um, so if you do normally have some carbohydrates day to day, have that same amount. Don't have any more. And if you normally don't have carbohydrates, don't go and have extra carbohydrates in the days before. Your body will find the energy where it needs it as you've trained it to do. Key takeaway number two, if you are very well fat adapted, you will not bonk or hit the wall. In terms of you will not suddenly have an energy flat from low blood sugar, which can even happen if you are taking on gels and liquid and everything because your gut just can't handle that while you're pushing yourself and trying to absorb that much, your gut can actually shut down and cause more problems. So always advise you to become fat adapted so you rely on less uh, glucose from outside sources. It's just going to be a much safer bet. so if you will never hit the wall because the energy is always available, lack of training is what will slow you down. Muscle fatigue will slow you down, not energy fatigue. And key takeaway number three is that mindset matters. It is absolutely everything. No matter what is going on in your body, you can overcome it with your mind in one way or another to make it easier. It may not go away but you can improve your situation with your mindset. Thanks very much for listening. That is it. I hope I haven't taken up too much of your time with my mindless race reports, but I hope you got something out of that. Drop me a line and let me know what questions you would have about where's the energy coming from? What would be your optimal strategy? Are there other athletes out there that have done races on zero carbohydrates who are eating very low carbohydrates day to day I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to get your experiences and then I can share, share them out here with everybody as well. So get in touch with us, drop us a line and follow us on social media. We'd love to hear from you. We're about to launch a new program that will make Jamie and I much more accessible at a great rate. Webinars twice a week, the six-week program. 
onboarding questionnaire and initial call. We're really looking forward to reaching out to more people through this avenue and we look forward to meeting you and talking to you soon. I'm Pete Jacobs. Find me on social media and send me in some questions. Thanks for listening.